Blog Talk Radio.
Hello, I'm good. How are you? You're coming in five by five, too. Good to have you back with us, Brenda. <laughs> Brenda's a regular host. She's been gone for just a little bit, and uh, it's great to welcome her back. Margaret Barnes, she's over there in the Pensacola area. And uh, hello, Margaret. Hello, Neil, and hello to everyone. And I think, I don't know whether she's with you there or not, but we have Luann Wiggins. Okay, Luann's with you. All right, hello. Can she say hello to the crowd? Yes, she can, Luann. Heck, Captain Neil, you don't know me long enough to just call me plain old Luann. You don't need to be formal. (laughs) (laughs) And let's see who else we see. Uh, All right, I'll do that, Luann. From now on, it's Luann. Or maybe I ought to put flight attendant Luann. Well, anyhow, we'll talk about that later on. Uh, Jim Harris, uh, right over there in a neighboring state in Kentucky where uh, Luann is from. Uh, I see Captain Jim Harris. Hello, Jim. Hello, hello, Neil. You're out in Dripping Springs, Texas. And I uh, got your five by five. Uh, spell dripping. Is that the way I'm uh, hearing it? D R I P P I N G? That's correct. <laughs> dripping. We actually, we actually got a spring here. And uh, at one it time drips. when people heading west, oh, it drips. <laughs> and they would, the uh, pioneers would stop by for provisions and rest and take on water and food. Okay, all right. It, now it's we a, know it's the a real town. I'm about <laughs> dripping. I'm about uh, about fifteen, eighteen miles west of Austin. Okay, the the music drifts over there from Austin city limits. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, I know. Yep, yep. All right. Okay. I guess we got it all. We got a guest here. We've got uh, from area code 770. I forgot where 770 sounds like Florida. It could be Atlanta. John Piper. Hello, John. Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta. Hi there. Uh, John Piper. Hello, John. Yeah, that's me. All right. Very good. He's from National. So. He's going to keep the facts straight. There are going to be no fake news about National on this show today. <laughs> <laughs> We're so happy to have back with us Brenda Chevo. And Brenda is a former flight attendant with Ward Airlines and Ward Air. And welcome back, Brenda. She's also, uh, before you get it going here, it might be a good time right now, Brenda, to tell folks about uh, another thing that you have are doing now for a great organization, the Silver Liners, but welcome back, Brenda. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. Um, Yes, I'm a member of the Silver Liners uh, International, which is an organization of um, former flight attendants, former and uh, current flight attendants uh, from all and any airline. Uh, We we have uh, members, well, I guess we're almost 700 members, and we represent over 73 airlines, including LL, um, I think it's BEA, uh, I think, yeah, we've got Air Canada, two of us from Canada, but the rest is mostly in the States, and it's a wonderful organization. Any flight attendants out there, love to have you join, and it's just, it, I can't tell you how wonderful it is. I do a twice a year uh, produce a magazine for the Silverliners International but I'm going to give you the website to check it out, www.thesilverliners.org. 
so that's all lowercase, all one word, thesilverliners.org. We'd just love to have you. Yeah. Okay, and Brenda, do you have any national flight attendants among the Silverliners? Yes, I believe we do. Okay, very good. Well, we ought to get a bunch more here uh, after they listen to the program today. But uh, thank you so much, and we'll hear you back often, I hope. Yes, I'll be back. Okay. Now there's a brighter way to Amsterdam. We're shining brighter. Starting December 13th, National flies nonstop to the heart of Europe. From New York to Amsterdam. We're shining brighter. Now National, the third largest U.S. airline to Europe, flies you in wide cabin DC-10 comfort to Amsterdam. We're shining brighter. All with a way of doing things that's as big and bright as the sun itself. The bigger we get, the brighter we shine. What a shine. You know, having grown up in Miami, Florida, I've been very near to the three airlines we have presented, and uh, that being uh, in the series, Pan Am National. And we'll do one, of course, on Eastern Airlines, of which I was an employee, uh, a couple of shows from now. Uh, And um, National was right there uh, in my life, early in my life, uh, growing up there during World War II, and uh, I can remember when National was right across Lejeune Road, and uh, by golly, I think a train came through and uh, along parallel uh, Lejeune Road, and they had a, a gate. Planes wanting to cross over to the National side on the east side of Lejeune Road uh, were, were allowed to taxi across to Lejeune Road. Uh, John, do you remember that? I think he probably does, but uh, I'm going to turn the show over right now instead of me blabbing. I'm going to turn it over to, uh, let's see, uh, let's start off with Lou Ann. I'd love to hear that Kentucky voice. Lou Ann? Well, thank you. Well, thank you, Captain Neal. But, you know, I, too, grew up close to an airline called Kentucky Air, for which I'm still a part-time flight attendant. And my question to you is, are you going to do Kentucky up there in these series? Well, we've been on the air for about 11 years. Maybe about uh, tw- uh, another decade from now we might do it. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, Luann. But, uh, golly, uh, I don't know how long could we talk about Kentucky up there. Well, you know, I have lots of stories, and and so we could actually do a book on Kentucky up there. I'm thinking about doing one. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But what I did say, Luann, you didn't listen to me at the beginning. I said we call this uh, it's about gone but not forgotten airlines, and I don't know whether Kentucky up there is is gone or or forgotten. (laughs) <laughs> Captain Neal, this is Margaret. Let me chime in here for a moment. You know, my BFF hears only what she wants to hear. So let me just say this. Luann, hush your babble, listen up, play nice. Okay, great. So if in Kentucky up there does a belly land, then you might do us a program on that. Is that right, Captain Neal? Oh, yeah, we down, might. Lou Ann, calm down. <laughs> Go ahead, Jim. <laughs> you sound down, like Jim. there's enough for us to talk about. 
if we do talk on Kentucky up there. Captain Neal, it just might be, might be, might be something to consider, okay, for a future radio show down the road. Considered well, but forgotten. <laughs> I already talked about it. <laughs> well, Luann, before we get to your airline, I'd like to suggest my gone, truly gone, but not forgotten company, Ward Air. Okay, ladies. Okay. Let's change the subject of who's on first here. <laughs> Captain Neal, you know that once you get Luann wound up, she's determined to have her way. So good luck with that. Can we hear another national commercial instead of doing this unwinnable debate? Saved by the bell. Now there's a brighter way to Amsterdam. We're shining brighter. Starting December 13th, National flies nonstop to the heart of Europe. From New York to Amsterdam. We're shining brighter. Now National, the third largest U.S. airline to Europe, flies you in wide cabin DC-10 comfort to Amsterdam. We're shining brighter. All with a way of doing things that's as big and bright as the sun itself. The bigger we get, the brighter we shine. What a shine. National Airlines was a U.S.-based scheduled airline inaugurated in 1934 and based in Miami, Florida. Now, this airline we're talking about today shouldn't be confused with the present-day Orlando-based National Airlines. The full-service carrier that we're talking about, um, the past full-service carrier, operated both U.S. domestic and international routes. However, a takeover by Pan Am World Airways in 1980 brought an end to its operations and dispatched another famous airline brand to American aviation folklore. And as this series is all about gone but not forgotten airlines, let's take a further look at this iconic airline's history. The airline was founded by George T. Baker in St. Petersburg, Florida, and began operations in October 1934. It initially flew passengers and mail to destinations within Florida using a fleet of Ryan ST monoplanes. Throughout the 1930s and 40s, the airline's fleet and route network expanded. A critical development was the introduction of the Douglas DC-4, which in 1946 allowed the inauguration of the first nonstop flights from Miami to New York. The airline had since moved its operations and maintenance bases from where it started in St. Petersburg to Miami at this point. Well, Brenda National also used a wide, varied fleet of other classic prop liners on its route network, namely Lockheed Lodestars, Electras, and Constellations, as well as the Convair 340s and the Convair 440s. The Douglas DC-6, the airline's first pressurized airliner was introduced in July of 1947. It introduced this type of aircraft to flight time on the airline's flagship Miami to New route from seven to five hours. The 1960s saw further rapid expansion with the award of traffic lights to flights to five to key points on the West Coast, namely Los Angeles and San Francisco. Following a change in the airline ownership of the airline in 1962, the airline introduced other jets in the forms of the Douglas DC-8 and the Boeing 727-100. These aircraft allowed the fly airline to open up new markets, launching hubs in Houston and New Orleans. In 1960, the airline modernized its fleet with new 
Douglas DC-8, followed by 10 Boeing 727 tri the first of which was delivered in 1964. But in 1962, Louis Bergman Bug Maytag, the grandson of Maytag Corporation founder Frederick Louis Maytag I, who had previously led Frontier Airlines, bought a majority share in National, and they replaced George Baker as CTO. But in 1968, the airline operated an all-jet fleet and served many both non-stop and multi-stop transcontinental routes across the United States. That Miami to New York time on the DC-6 of five and a half hours was now three hours and five minutes. So obviously, that 727 is a little bit faster. Well, man, now the jets were here to stay. In late 1969, the airline ordered 10 new McDonnell Douglas DC-10s, 10 trijets directly from the manufacturer. These new aircraft were brought in to replace the DC-8 fleet to increase the capacity passenger and comfort on this transcontinental routes. Well, Margaret, what do you think about that? Well, Jim, Europe is now calling for more flights from America, and as the airline expanded into the 1970s, National developed international aspirations. It introduced direct nonstop service from its Miami hub to London, Heathrow, with a CC-10 Series 30 aircraft on June 16, 1970, National joined TWA and Pan Am on this route. The airline was also one of the first carriers in North America to introduce the Boeing 747 in October 1970. These were initially used on the high-density Miami to New York and Miami to Los Angeles routes. And by 1973, National was operating wide-body service to Los Angeles, LAX, San Francisco SFO, San Diego SAN, Los LAS, Houston HOU, New Orleans MSY, Orlando MCO, Tampa TPA, West Palm Beach PDI, Miami MIA. It also served on three airports in the New York area, John F. Kennedy, JFK, LaGuardia, LGA, and Newark EWR. With the introduction of the upgraded DC Series 30, the airline took the opportunity to expand further into Europe, serving Paris, Frankfurt, Amsterdam, and Zurich. It's amazing. At this point, Margaret, National was operating the following type of aircraft. It was a large fleet, 85 aircraft. They had Boeing 707, they had one Boeing 707-120, leased from Pan Am. Boeing 727-100, they had 21 of them. They had 27 727s 200. They had two 747 100s. They had 19 Douglas DC-8s, and they had 15 Douglas DC-10s. National had become a cash-rich and dominant player in both the U.S. domestic market and from the U.S. to Europe throughout the 1970s. As such, the airline became attractive to its competitors following deregulation in 1978. Texas International Airlines bought a 24.6% share in National Airlines in 1978. However, this company had its initial offer to purchase the remainder of the shares in National turned down. Brenda, an opposing offer from Eastern Airlines, a local Miami-based competitor, also failed, fell through, by which time Texas International Airlines had lost its 
and since sold its shares to Pan Am. Carrier had long desired a more significant foothold in the Florida market, and the acquisition sowed seeds for national eventual demise. The Sun King, as national became known, finally sets. On January the 7th, 1980, Pan Am acquired the remaining shares in National, and the takeover was complete. The National fleet was quickly absorbed into that of its new owner. However, many aircraft were quickly put up for sale due to conflicting fleets within the Pan Am stable. The Boeing 727-100s and DC-10s, Pan Am already operated the Lockheed 10-11 TriStar, they were the first to leave. Within months, the distinct delivery and branding of National Airlines had disappeared, and the iconic word Sun King logo had set for the final time. Margaret? Over the years, National Airlines had several successful advertising themes, and among them, one of the most popular and controversial was this one. Fly me to Miami, Tampa, Orlando, all over Florida. Fly me. I'm National Fly Me. June 24, 1974. Since National Airlines took off with its on Cheryl Fly Me campaign in 1971, the sexy and sexist slogan enraged feminists, but it also pulled in business. National actually reported a 23% increase in passengers during the first year of the campaign, nearly twice that of the industry as a whole. Having succeeded that well with sex, National drummed up an even more subjective advertising campaign on television. The new ads featured National stewardesses looking seductively into the camera and breathing, I'm going to fly you like you've never been flown before. Well, the filmmakers coached them to say it like that and pretend that they were standing, uh, you know, there stark naked when they were saying that. <laughs> so a San Francisco-based group called Stewardesses for Equal Rights considered complaining to the Federal Commission's, uh, I'm sorry, let me start that over, Federal Communications Commission and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Um, hey, Mr. Producer, can I step in here and tell you all how this came about? Are you there, Mr. Producer? Uh, I know how old you are, Luann, so I know you didn't have anything to do with this back in 1974, but, but go ahead and tell us what you know. Well, okay, I don't date that far back. But back then, Mr. F. William Free, an advertising executive who attracted passengers to National Airlines and protesters to his agency with one of his best-known campaigns that we just talked about, I'm Cheryl, Fly Me, came up with that their idea. Now, I personally believe that if I had been a stewardess back then, they would have used my more alluring name of I'm Lance, Fly Me. <laughs> It would have really worked wonders for the more serious-minded passengers, of course. But anywho, 
The first print advertisement featured a photographic close-up of Cheryl Fioravante. That bears the Italian pronunciation of her last name. And she is a freckle-faced stewardess with a boyish coiffure, smiling innocently. The high, I'm sure, will fly me ad read in large, flat, full face. Subsequent ads invited flyers to fly other fresh, fresh-faced stewardesses like Joe and Laura. But I'm telling you, they missed the boat by not calling one of them airplanes, Luann, fly me. <laughs> well, Luann, the campaign's notoriety paid off for National. The airline had a 19% increase in revenue per passenger mile in the first half of 1972 and signed up for more ads. Mr. Free responded with, I'm Eileen, fly me, starring an eight-year-old girl who dreams of being a flight attendant. He also reprised the Cheryl ad, this time with the headlines, Millions of People Flew Me Last Year. National Airlines was a great airline to fly with. The two 747s were named Linda and Patricia. I think one DC-10 was named Bud for Bud Maytag, the chairman, after National came under fire for using their sexist Fly Me campaign. Eventually, male and female names were used on the National fleet. Among the former male names are the following. Jerry Lewis was on a DC-10, Bing Crosby on a DC-10, and Sammy Davis Jr. on a DC-10. Margaret? Actually, uh, most of the regular DC-8s were around long enough to get the fly need treatment. And there is, I think, um, a great video for sale on the above-mentioned National Sundowners website that includes dozens of those flying commercials, among other gems from the 70s. Now, National was my favorite airline as a child, and I had many wonderful flights on the 727s, DC-8s, and DC-10s. And just for fun, here's the DC name list. I do not remember the later renames to Bob Hope, Sammy Davis, Dinah Shore, etc. But anyway, here goes. So six zero, no November Alpha, Barbara, then Suzanne, sixty one, Nova Alpha, Dorothy, sixty two, no November, I'm sorry, Francis then Celine, sixty three, November Alpha Phyllis. <laughs> This is kind of hard to say. 64, November Alpha Geraldine, named for the character of the Flip Wilson TV show. 65, November, November Alpha Irene. How many of you can say this fast like three times? You're doing 66, good. <laughs> November Alpha Shirley. 67, November Alpha Joy. 68, November Alpha Jamie. 69, November Alpha Betty. Perhaps I should slow down. 70, November Alpha Whiskey, 80, November Alpha Tammy, 81, November Alpha Renee, 82, November Alpha Marion, and 83, November Alpha Timmy. Now, sorry, Luann, unfortunately, they didn't know your alluring name back then. Captain Jim? <laughs> okay, thank you. Now, Margaret, an interesting side note about... I can't say it right either. 80 November Alpha, Tammy. Uh, she was named after National Flight Attendant Tammy Saban, whom I saw in a photo. She was a supermodel, movie star, goddess, beautiful, 
Anyway, her then boyfriend was a high bidder on a Miami area PBS station telethon for charity to win the rights to name a DC-10 national after whoever the high bidder wanted. Wisely, he chose his girlfriend, that being Tammy. The suggested laden campaign cost national a small fortune. They spent over $9 million a year on the ads, but it paid off. The National Organization for Women objected to the ads, of course, calling them sexist, saying they presented a flight attendant as a flying meat market or something like that, and invited passengers to make sexual advances. Nevertheless, the Fly Me series raised the carrier's profile and won a handful of advertising awards. Now, it happened in another era in history. They sure would not be able to do it this time of the year, no more than this PC climate. I'm Cheryl, fly me. The national 1971 national campaign featuring his dearest with just another, quote, sex sales, end quote, salvo in the cutthroat world of American air travel. Somebody must have said that. The Civil Aeronautics Board controlled the rates and routes, assignments, for the tightly regulated industry, but the airlines controlled branding, and stewardesses were part of the brand, that's for sure. Brenda. Yeah, Jim, the stewardess field was competitive with very few openings. Most airlines wanted applicants to have some college education, and interviewers screened out women who didn't fit the corporate standards of beauty. There were compulsory finishing schools where the basic requirements of passenger safety and comfort were taught, alongside classes on posture, cosmetics, and physical fitness. Once on the job, stewardesses suffered pre-flight weigh-ins and could be forced to wear girdles or other form-contouring underwear. There were on-brand makeup schemes and fines for smoking while in uniform. And no matter how perfectly coiffed and catwalk-ready a stewardess was, no matter how professional and dedicated to her job, she could not be married. She could not be pregnant, older than her early 30s. Sad but true. And another side note, in the 50s, flying, of course, was a rarefied form of travel for a well-heeled clientele. Now, back then, women in matronly uniforms served dinner on trays and poured cocktails. As businessmen came to dominate commuter flights, particularly in the smaller regional markets, the uniform became less austere, to say the least. Uh, does your wife know you're flying with us? Ask ads for Braniff. <laughs> Pacific Southwest led the race to the bottom by dressing its stewardesses in colorful miniskirts and go-go boots throughout the late 60s before delving into hot pants in the early 70s. Captain Neal? Come on and Fly me to Miami, Tampa, Orlando, all over Florida. Fly me. I'm National Fly Me. There are a couple of comments we received on Facebook. Uh, oh, I got one more song I want to play. And uh, let's see if this is the one. I'll put it up here. Everything you've heard about us Miami girls is true. We're always on the move. Fly me to Houston. 
National has non-stop DC-10s every day. Or fly me to New Orleans on the only DC-10s. You can fly me morning, afternoon, or night. Just say when. I'm Judy, and I was born to fly. Fly me. Fly Judy. Fly National. Well, that's the story of the Fly Me, and sorry they ran out of the airplanes for you, Luann. Or the, I, I guess <laughs> if you had, a, had a been flying for, uh, I guess, uh, did, did, oh, let me ask you this, Luann. Did uh, mm-hmm. Kentucky Up Air uh, have a, a Fly Me or any kind of campaign like that? Sorry to ask you without you no, having, we will. doing some. <laughs> go ahead. No, but we, we will have that because I'm going to suggest it, put it in the suggestion box. And since I'm the one that controls the suggestion box, I think we're going to have I'm Luann, fly me. You'll hear about it. <laughs> okay, I'm sure we will. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, uh, putting this uh, information out on Facebook, uh, I put it out as a blast, an e-blast, I guess you'd call it on Facebook, to so many different airlines. And and we do get many, many listeners that uh, listen uh, to our programs on our uh, Facebook page. And uh, it, they are all archived. There are about 700 of them. And uh, so pick out any of them and, and uh, you'll hear all the fun we've had over the past years. But here are a couple of comments that I've received. One from Donald Malik. I think that's the way he pronounces it. Uh, he says, I flew with a navigator from Pan Am on a Convair 990 out of uh, Ames Research Lab. He had flown navigator for Pan American on the Pacific routes. Many stories of night, rainy landings in Manila, Manila Bay. And sorry, but I've forgotten his name, but he had many interesting stories about the flying boats. I can tell you, uh, Donald, that we had one of our uh, very uh, esteemed captains, uh, and the guy, as a matter of fact, that hired me, uh, Captain O.B. Bivens, once flew for Pan American, and he has some great stories about the clipper boats that he flew in. So, yeah, fascinating part of uh, that. I'm sorry getting into Pan Am stuff here, but but uh, at any rate, I got another one here from Patricia. Tucker about the book Come Fly the World The Jet Age Story of the Women of Whoops, that was a Pan Am one, but at any rate National did become Pan Am, so I guess it goes right along that we can go ahead and read what she she said about that Uh, Nancy Camp Camp, uh, Camp, excuse me, Nancy Camp says that my father Robert Bocher, I think it's uh, his name, Bocher, worked for National Airlines in Miami as an aircraft inspector, and he took early retirement in 1981. But by then, it was Pan Am, but he sure loved National. Uh, well, our program is pretty much over for the part of uh, information about Pan Am, the history of Pan Am, short abbreviated, and also Fly Me campaign, very, very successful. Each airline had, uh, I guess, competition that, um, excuse me, I've got my phone on. I only do that to leave my phone on at funerals and weddings. 
and uh, it's very exciting. <laughs> First time I've done it on a radio show. Uh, I don't not. think I'd have admitted that on, on radio, Neil. But I did it at a funeral, Lou, and I really did it at a funeral. And I was sitting in the first row. <laughs> oh, mercy. Oh, mercy. Yeah. That's another story. <laughs> uh, but I would like to start off by sharing some stories. And, uh, John, I don't know if you're still with me or not. Or you probably uh, thought well enough of this kitchen table radio. So I know Jim Harris is is there with us. But uh, if any of you guys have a story about National, I'd like to hear it. But I want to start my story off by saying, my introduction to National Airlines, like I said earlier, I grew up in Miami during the war, <clears throat> World War One, and uh, the first commercial jet I ever flew in, not flew, but flew in, and not as a passenger, but in the cockpit, was a National Airlines DC-8. You see, uh, we had a contract, the company that I worked for out at Tamiami Airport, and uh, our job was to train all of the returning flight engineers, not returning, but their nationals, flight engineers. I think National was the first company that actually jumped out ahead and started training their engineers as pilots. They had to have a pilot's license or a certificate. So... Uh, uh, Mary Gaffney, the owner of Kendall Flying School, got the first contract with National. And we trained uh, guys like uh, Earl Howe, who was the first engineer with National Airlines, Nick Nicoletti. And, uh, uh, there were so many of them that we trained uh, out at Tamiami Airport. <clears throat> and uh, that was back in the 60s. And when the FAA decided that anyone flying in a jet cockpit a commercial jet cockpit had to have a pilot's license or certificate. And uh, so that's my relationship with Pan Am. And the pilot of that flight, none other than Captain Skeeter Royal. And Captain Royal uh, had a brother over with Eastern Airlines called Thad. His name was Thad Royal. But uh, that was a night flight, as most of the training flights were. And Skeeter was checking out uh, Captain, and uh, Earl Howe, who had invited me along, was checking out a flight engineer. And uh, so Earl asked me if I wanted to go, and of course I said, you bet I do. And it was like, I think we left the airport around 10 o'clock at night, went out to the practice area over the Everglades, and did stalls and falls and steep turns and engine out failures and rapid descents and you name it. Went through the whole thing. And this is not in a simulator, folks. This was in a DC-8. So that was my introduction to a commercial uh, jet aircraft. Um, before that, I've been flying light, small airplanes, J-3 Cubs, Piper Tri-Pacers, Apaches, Aztecs, and that type of airplane. And, uh, boy, that really, I was then determined that I was going to be an airline pilot, and um, and I did. So that's my story. Anybody else got a story they want to talk about or tell about National? Uh, the microphones are open. I have a short one. Well, Neil. Well, I'm going to go ahead. Brenda spoke first. Brenda, then you, Jim. Okay. I hear well, all these stories. 
I see your hand raised there, Jim, in the background. So, Brenda, you go ahead and tell your story. Ladies first. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Of course, we tend to remember a lot as flight attendants from our initial flight attendant training, especially uh, the emergency training, which, of course, you know I'm all about. Um, And we take many case studies of aircraft accidents and incidents. Now, I had my initial training in early 1981, and one that's really stuck in my mind is the National DC-10 that suffered a rapid decompression at 39,000 feet when uh, fragments of a disintegrating number three engine penetrated the fuselage, and a male passenger was sucked out the window despite still wearing his seatbelt. It was written up on November 3rd, 1973 at about 4.40 p.m. while the aircraft was cruising at 39,000 feet, 65 miles southwest of Albuquerque, the number three starboard engine fan assembly disintegrated. One passenger was partially partially blown into the opening made by a failed cabin window after it, too, was struck by engine fragments. He was temporarily retained in that position by his seatbelt. To pull the passenger back into the airplane by another passenger were unsuccessful, and the occupant of seat 17H was sucked entirely through the cabin window. Mm. I can remember seeing that photo with fragments of his clothing and his mm. seatbelt still fastened. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> that was just wow. just awful, one of those things, you know. But, yeah, you kind of, I guess it's the horror of it all. Um, I want to throw one quick little thing in here with silver liners. Um, Margaret and Luann, you're in Florida. We have several chapters in Florida, and we'd love to have you. And, yes, I looked it up. We do have national um, represented already. I don't know the names yet. But, yeah, we have um, the Villages, we have uh, Greater Miami, we have Fort Lauderdale, we have Florida Gulf Coast, and we have Tallahassee. So check it out, okay? Okay, Jimmy. I certainly will. Thank you for the invite. Now, Margaret, I think you've got a story, but first I see Jim's hand up in the air. So, Jim, what's your... (laughs) You talking about Jim me or Jim him? Well, Jim, 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 I think I heard that voice. They're very different voices for sure. Yes, anyhow, this is a true story, and I had forgotten all about it before the radio started. uh, I told uh, Neil I didn't have one to relate, but I do have one, and it it, it has a happy ending, very obviously. Uh, But I was a first officer on a 727 flying south, over Richmond, Virginia, this has been a long time ago. And you remember we had the little windows right above the pilot, the captain, and the first officer's head, which you, you could yeah. see out of the corny eye or the top of the eye yeah. or something. And we were cruising in weather, in clouds, smooth clouds, but it was late in the evening, and the captain was flying. And all of a sudden, over the radio, we heard Eastern descend immediately, immediately. And the captain he disconnected I was autopilot and shoved it over. And just as he did, out of the corner of my eye, out of the top of my eye, I saw something go right over our head. And I said, holy crap, you know. And we recovered about 2,000 feet down there. And uh, and then nobody said a word on the radio. There's nothing said. It seemed like for an hour, but it was more like three or four minutes. And uh, the, the national, the center said, uh, uh, this is going to be, we're going to have to make a report on this or something like that, you know, because all we were doing, we were cruising at 31, and this guy was coming up, and they had us at the same altitude, and they realized that just seconds before we could have hit and told us to descend immediately, and we did, 
And, of course, we got our breath back and all that kind of stuff. And National said something about, boy, that must have been a close one. But I don't think he could have seen us because he's just looking down. We were looking up. And about a minute later, the captain leaned over to me and he said, you know, National almost had a merger, didn't he? Because <laughs> you know, they were trying to merge with all these other people. So it had a funny ending. That guy had a you know, National almost had a merger, didn't he? <laughs> and that is a true story, sports fans. But I thought that night in Miami on a layover, I was thinking we could all be scattered up there in Richmond in the river somewhere, you know. We did. But we, I, for us to see him go over us in the weather, he had to be probably maybe a couple of hundred feet above us. Yeah. Wow. True yeah, story. Yeah, well, most pilots flying as long as we did, and Jim Harris, I'm sure you can vouch for it, too. We've had our shares of near misses because they did happen mm-hmm. near misses. And I've told my harrowing story, and I don't even like to tell it anymore because it scares the daylights out of me. Just repeating it, remembering it. Margaret, you don't have a story, do you, or Luann? Well, uh, I don't have a personal story about National Airlines that if you will bear with me. When I was researching uh, some facts about National, I found a story about the bravery of a flight attendant that I would like to share. And I have to say, I was actually teary-eyed by the time I read it, um, wow. that on January 14th, all the way back in 1951, while attempting to land, National Airlines Flight 83 overshot the runway crashed into a ditch at the Philadelphia International Airport and burst into flames. Now, six of the 28 passengers died, but Mary Frances Housley, better known as Frankie Housley, the lone flight attendant, lost her life, but not before she returned to the burning wreckage to lead passengers to safety. And after leading 10 of those passengers to safety, even pushing some of them out of the plane, then she returned back to the burning cab- cabin rather, to save an infant. But sadly, she died in the attempt, and she was later found holding that four-month infant in her arms along oh with five, of, five other women who had died in the crash and another infant. Now, here's an interesting mm-hmm. fact as well. Uh, she has been regarded as a hero And in that same year, 1951, her story was adapted into a comic book called New Hero Comics, number 68, where she is actually featured on the cover with her arms around a male passenger trying to lead him out. And I've actually seen that cover. If you just go online and you want to look this up, it's really fascinating. Just uh, Google New Hero Comics, number 68. Frankie Housley, H-O-U-S-L-E-Y. And I just think that's an amazing story. How many people would actually, or flight attendants who would do that, um, you know, and have the presence of mind to attempt something like that? Well, Margaret, Brenda has written a book about that, uh, not that particular incident, but about uh, 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 flight attendants that have lost their lives doing exactly what you just read. Brenda, can you tell us the name about yeah. it in your book? Yeah, thank you. It's uh, called Flight Attendants Lost in the Line of Duty. And I take every um, type of emergency we can have from ditching to post-crash fires, in-flight fires, decompressions, pilot incapacitation. And for each, I used um, a case study 
and use the actual uh, aircraft accident and incident reports from the NTSB. And uh, the book is now being used um, for pilot training, commercial pilot training at um, Embry-Riddle, which I'm really, Uh really proud of. But the book, it it Mm -hmm. made me, when I researched, it it blew me away, the the heroism. And it, it just makes me sad because even to this day, flight attendants are never recognized. Uh, doing what they do, um, but anyway, it's it's an interesting little short stories almost. But again, it's just called flight attendants lost in the line of duty. Yeah, uh, so thanks, Neil. Amazon? Yes, yes, it is. Okay, thank you, Brenda. I'll definitely buy that. Thank you. Yeah, it's oh, a great book. You. Yeah, yeah. Are we gonna hear Jim Harris's story? I don't know. Jim's got one. Hey, we've got one. In my in my 25 years and approximately 20,000 hours in the sky, if I've ever been nearly killed, I don't know what nor, nor one time was I ever scared. So, I think that's a that's a pretty good story there. It's a great one to have. That is it's a yeah. good record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you got I mean, no 20,000 hours. You got huh? no speeding tickets or. You know, failing well, to I might have been sick. Oh, I like to speed a little bit. Jet airplanes are supposed to go fast. <laughs> but nope, that's my story. I mean, really nothing. Uh, stick the to 727 it. Is a great airplane. The 727 is a great airplane. You punch a button and it works. Yeah, that's yeah right. it did. Yeah. I got to tell yeah. the crowd, though, that Jim Harris really knew how to lay over. And he led me around New Orleans and eating all those good restaurants down there. It seemed like every time I had a New Orleans layover, I was flying with Jim, and I was a happy boy. <laughs> hey, look, we, we we fought the Battle of Felix's a few times to get a get a dozen mixed and uh, yeah, yeah, go, over to the, go over to the Acme, go over to the Acme uh, Oyster Bar over the Cobes Restaurant. Watch the girl on the swing, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that. Oh, yeah. not, I don't think I was in on that. My wife wouldn't let me. <laughs> well, you just, you just walk down Berber Street, and there she'd come out through the window. <laughs> yeah, swinging on that swing. <laughs> I love those you on in the layover. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, they were especially fun there be food with Justin Griner. Oh, oh, yeah. God, oh, yeah. Uh, many trips oh, yeah. He there. always what got a great something going on. I want to see who's waiting to speak on area code 828. Who do we have at area code 828? That would be Nancy Camp. Nancy? I just, I think I said Nancy on the air just a few minutes ago about your father. You did. Robert? Yeah, my father, my father worked for National. Can you tell us? It's it's pronounced Betcher. Betcher. Okay, Betcher. Yep. All right. And it, did uh, did you fly uh, any at all, uh, get passes with National growing up? I'm sure oh, you did. Ab- yeah, absolutely. We went, yeah, we flew National all the time. And I, myself, which back then I was Nancy Betcher, I worked in, I, I was on the radio here, uh, it's been probably a year maybe ago, but I worked for Eastern, my sister worked for Eastern, my grandmother, my aunt, my uncle, Daryl Johnson, worked for National Airlines. He was in the radio shop. We were all in Miami. And then I was in Atlanta. I worked in um, crew scheduling in Atlanta. 
Oh, you were in a pilot. Was a pilot crew scheduler? Yes. Oh, hmm. Nancy. I'm sure I knew you. Well, yeah, when, what years did you work, Nancy? Um, well, in, uh, well, I worked at Eastern from 1972 to 91, and I was in crew scheduling probably mostly in the 80s in Atlanta, okay. and I worked with Don Davis and Harry Rivers oh, yeah. and Barry Mandel. Oh, yeah. Oh, Woody. Yeah. Yeah. Woody. Woody yeah. Horn. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right. Very good. Well, you yeah, well, 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 I'm sure trucks. I knew you then. <laughs> yeah, I remember J.B. Holder and Justin Griner and yeah. all the, all the mm-hmm. yep, I remember everybody. Paul Kelly. Tom Milburn. He was there. Tom, yeah, Tom Muburn. Yeah. Um, let's see, got, let's see who else. Jerry Hastings. Now, yeah. Jerry. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And Bob Kelp. Uh, Bob Kelp. You know the photographer. Bob Kelp. Yeah, Bob Kelp. Yeah. Well, that's good. What good guys. Them. Well, you. Yeah. There was nothing you could do then to get your dad to go with Eastern instead of National, was there? <laughs> no, I actually he went with. Actually, he worked at Eastern Airlines first, oh, and then okay. he ended up just briefly, and then he ended up at National and worked there yeah. for, geez, I don't know when wow. he started, but like I said, he retired in 1981, not long after the merger. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Very good. Well, but I still I, I still have all of his um, his anniversary of his pens that he got at national and i have a lot of national airlines playing cards and stuff uh-huh. did you work with a gal named laura and cruise with the eastern i can't think of her last uh, name laura. i think so yeah i, I think, I think so, she married laura. ken ferguson Okay, Ken Ferguson. All right, Jim. Thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. her and uh, and uh, the other girl. She went as a secretary with someone, uh, the blonde-headed girl. Uh, that might be you, Nancy. I don't. I know. <laughs> no. There was a uh, Betty. Betty Gatrell worked there also. Uh, 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 Betty, I think her name was. Well, but we I have... worked in. I was. I was still in crew scheduling. I was in Atlanta, and then they, you know, when they centralized, and we all had to move back to Miami. Mm. Um, yeah, I can't well, remember the year. We get Ray Crumbly. We got to bring up Ray Crumbly. Ray right Crumbly. Oh, yeah. Ray Crumbly. Yeah. 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 Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wonderful man. Wonderful man. Well, Harry, I'll tell you Harry what. Rip- crew scheduling did wonders for John Corny, my partner, when we operated Georgia Flyers there in Atlanta. Because we had had classes uh, all over the U.S. It seems like Puerto Rico and and, uh, and when we had the classes, sometimes our trips interfered with our business on the side. And if it hadn't been for people like Bobby Sutton and and uh, Woody and those guys uh, scheduling someone else to take our trips, because we were making more more doing what we were doing on the side than we did with Eastern as co-pilots. And uh, uh-huh. but uh, at any rate, you guys were uh, you you were the best. You were the best. Yeah. Well, I I want to ask Luann this. Luann, <clears throat> do you have a crew scheduling with uh, Kentucky Up Air? Well, 
it's just most of the time we do because we're very sociable our upper, you know, and uh, so, but we try really hard. But now we just go from, as I mentioned before, Lexington to Louisville. I mean, I'm sorry, Hazard to Lexington, Lexington to Louisville, vice versa back, and that's all we do. So we go up, down, up, down, and that's our schedule. And we kind of fly when we want to. And, oh, it's a lovely airline to work. All you, all you co-hosts there who've been flight attendants and uh, captains, you ought to come and try us. We're, I'm the one oh, come fly me. We, we fly uh, when we want to. Huh? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, we're getting to the point now, Luann, that I'm going to ask you to come fly us out of here, okay? Okay. Um, I'm sorry. Let me put Luann back on. Yeah. But, uh, well, <laughs> our show next week is about Braniff International Airlines, gone but not forgotten. Do I have a moment to mention something about them, Captain Neal? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Or do we, okay. Well, here's a little piece of information from the show we're sure you didn't know. Your family ancestry may have roots with American and American Revolution patriot. Paul Revere Braniff was his founder. I bet he didn't know his name would be associated with an airline, but maybe the advertising for Braniff would have been, Braniff is coming, Braniff is coming, fly her. Fly her. Well... I see oh. by the clock, it's time for Merle Haggard to sing us on out of here with his great song, Silver Wings. Have a better day, everyone. Sing it, Merle. Okay. <laughs> Let me hey, see thank if you, I can thank find. you, Neil, Let for another see. great show. Well, well, thank, thank you, you, Jim. Yeah, it's been oh, fun. Gosh, it really has. Cool. Now I'm gonna see if I can find Merle here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, see, I can't listen. I can't listen to this, so I keep singing it for a week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not by yourself. <laughs> that's, that's, that was the one above, Silver Wings. Here's Silver Wings. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, goodbye, y'all, until next week. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Silver Wings. Shining. Sunlight, roaring engines, headed somewhere in flight. They're taking you away, and leaving me lonely. Silver wings, slowly fading out of sight. Don't take that airplane ride But you locked me out of your mind And left me standing here behind Silver wings Shining in the sunlight Roaring engines Headed somewhere in They're taking you away, leaving me lonely, still.
slowly fading out of sight Silver wings Shining in Taking you away and leaving me lonely. Silver wings, slowly fading out of sight. Slowly fading out of sight. Great show, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care, Neil. Okay, bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye.